1: clients of ARK Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Welcome to FYI, ARK's weekly podcast on innovation and technology investing. I'm your host, James Wang. This week, I talked to a very, very interesting person that you probably haven't heard of. On this podcast, we've had some industry luminaries like Elon Musk and George Church. But as my friend David Perell is wont to say, if you want to find the really interesting stuff, you have to go to the edge. This week's guest is our first anonymous guest. He simply goes by Dylan, and I found him on Twitter. He's a fairly young person who works in the field of data science for a large company, but is really passionate about semiconductors and the field of AI as his personal side project. He has published very interesting tweets that I've followed, and has provided some of the most original insights on the field. In this episode, we cover the changing landscape of the semiconductor market, how it's escaped from a state of dormancy to the most vibrant competitive landscape we've seen in decades, the rise of AI chip startups, NVIDIA's and Tesla's prospects in the self-driving car space. I'm joined in this episode by ARC analyst Tasha Kini, who covers all things autonomous. Enjoy the episode. Dylan, welcome to the Arcfy podcast. You're one of the, I would say, underground semiconductor analysts on Twitter. You have a meme as your profile picture and you prefer to stay anonymous. Could you give maybe some background on how you got interested in analyzing semiconductor and technology companies, what you see the opportunity is in terms of you adding your voice into this? And I know you're working on something as a project and maybe just tell our listeners a little bit about that.
3: So in terms of getting started, I I mean, when I was a kid, got the red ring of death, opened up the Xbox, fixed it with the penny trick. But ever since then, you know, that just blew up my love of computers. So I do work a little bit with AI in the real world, mostly for risk quant type of work. But just following semiconductors in general has always been my passion. You know, I do a lot of stuff on Reddit as well over there about semiconductors As you said, I'm starting a site sooner or later, I'm not sure exactly, but I'm going to be covering semiconductor stocks and various analysis related to them.
2: Okay. I think it's it's so interesting that in this modern era, we have independent analysts, right? We don't just have the Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley's of the world and industry research houses like IDC and Gartner. We have people basically just living on the internet, maybe with a name, maybe anonymous, doing very, I would say, arguably uh, just as high quality, often higher quality work than these professional paid analysts with all these industry connections. Uh, why do you think that is? And what do you consider to be your edge uh, in in providing these insights?
3: with the semiconductor analysts, the ones that generally get to go on calls, I'd say most of them are pretty poor. You know, they're all they're all about filling in, you know, a couple cells on their spreadsheet model, which is I get it, right? That's what their valuation is based on. And so that's what they're focused on during calls. And that's all they're focused on during, you know, with what is announced from various companies. You know, there's a few like Mr. Rasgon, I'm not sure how exactly how you say his name, but you Stacey know, he actually Raskin. asks very insightful, you know, meaningful questions on these calls. But in general, most of them are just all about filling out that one spreadsheet cell and making their valuation model a little bit better. And they sometimes lose sight of what the actual tech is and the trend there, right? They kind of pick up on what the whole community is saying, but they don't spot when the community is wrong about these types of trends that they see. And they just focus mostly on filling in that one or two bubbles.
2: Hmm. Interesting. And where do you uh, get your information? How do you do things differently?
3: So, I mean, I do the same thing as they do, except I I have a job, so I can't listen to the call live most of the times. I go home, listen to the call, take notes. You know, I've made a few models for various companies, but I'm not driven by the valuation model as much as predicting market share and things of that nature. That's what I really like to do is seeing, okay, you actually have this much market share or, you know, this product is going to launch when, based on what you've said and what, how, what's the traction going to be like based off of what you said and what others have said. And actually focusing on the technology side of things and how feasible the technology is rather than focusing on just valuation.
2: That makes sense. When you look at the, I guess, processor and semiconductor landscape, after maybe a decade or so of relatively little change, there's just a huge amount of change all of a sudden. What is exciting you right now, either from a technology, architecture, or competitive dynamic that you think investors should uh, be focused on?
3: Well, so there's a couple of things at play right now. One, you know, recently we had the whole DRAM explosion and, you know, how much it blew up in price announced tanking and, you know, there's a lot of people clinging to that. And same with NAND, how it's just rock bottom. And there's a lot of dynamics in that market there that are interesting. But those are sort of going away, subsiding, going back to what it was for the previous 10 years before this whole explosion. And now there's, you know, what's happening in logic semiconductors is even more interesting with startups all over the place. You know, we haven't had really too many startups making a big flash on the scene. I would argue that they still haven't yet, but there's people clearly believe that they're going to then we have all these companies the massive companies the apples the googles the microsofts the teslas developing their own hardware completely independent of what others merchants in the market have developed they think they can do it better and you know in many cases they are doing it better and then there's lastly the dynamics of just what's happening in the macroeconomics that there's actually quite a few people saying that semis are going to take a tank towards the end of this year or In fact, they've already started to, perhaps, just because of the market dynamics. And, you know, there's also that China's blowing up and, you know, high silicon Huawei is increasingly becoming very, very competitive, whether it's in AI hardware or in CPUs or mobile SLCs.
2: Why are people concerned that uh, the semiconductor market is going to go into a downturn?
3: Well, so if you look at the equipment companies, so in the beginning of the year, they were all saying, you know, the first half is going to be poor. Second half, we're guiding, you know, it's going to be great. That's what everyone in the whole semiconductor industry was guiding, but especially the equipment guys like applied materials or Tokyo Electrons. And now if you look at, you know, their outlook, it seems much more muted. And I think they're going to start missing. And if the semi-equipment guys are missing, that means for the folks like TSMC, who are also having poor seven nanometer utilization, you know, you have the best process in the world. Why is utilization so low? Earlier, end of last year, beginning of this year, it was the mobile world is slow. Well, the mobile world hasn't really picked up. In fact, that business is slowing down just as much, you know, it keeps slowing down. And I don't think anything has taken the gap. So there's still a lot of low utilization there. And then that, that just spreads on to the entire ecosystem, right?
2: How much of this do you think is related to the kind of trade tensions? The mobile uh, slowdown is kind of secular since uh, that market arguably has mostly been saturated now. But we have, of course, the high performance computing market. We have the AI market. Have those been hit basically by trade headwinds?
3: I don't think that the AI market has really been hit too much. In terms of the HPC market, you know, there's a TIAHE 3A, I believe it is, the name of the Chinese supercomputer. Right. Or was it Sugon's? Whatever. That one is pretty much dead in the water right now because of some of the trade winds. I don't know what's happening with that it's up in the air, but for the most part, I don't think that's really been affected either. I think it's mostly macroeconomically, just China slowdown, emerging market slowdown, mm. European slowdown, Japanese slowdown. There's a lot of slowdown, slowing down in the market that people aren't prepared for. You know, and the US is talking about cutting rates soon. So it's clear that everyone sees the slowdown. They're just trying to pretend like it doesn't exist. I'm not sure.
2: That's, that's very interesting. If you look at the data center market right now, we have more competition than we've had for a long time. Intel has basically fired their CEO and, and is now guiding very cautiously going forward. AMD is on a path of resurgence. And you have NVIDIA, of course, kind of carving up territory that it pretty much created on its own. How do you see their respective trajectories? Is the power dynamic that has been established over the last decade going to change substantially, or do you expect the change to be more gradual?
3: So with these things, it's a slow slow market. So of course it's gonna be a gradual change, but you know, Intel's guiding flat 2019, 2020 will probably be flat again. I think 2021, they'll re- you'll really see, okay, the issues that Intel's had over the last five years are finally gonna start being resolved and they'll come back really hard. But by then, I think AMD will have carved out a little niche for themselves or quite a large niche, perhaps. We'll see. But with NVIDIA, I think that's the one that I have the most uncertainty around. They don't even guide anymore for full year revenue. Like that's like, okay, that's pretty suspicious. (laughs) You're not going to guide revenue even for the full year. I understand not for the next quarter. That's fine. Plenty of companies don't do that. Or, you know, one or the other, but they're just doing neither. And it's kind of scary. I think it's because they have a ton of competition that's coming up and their next generation of server products don't come out till early next year at best. I imagine it will be early next year, won't be this year. And by the time those come out, you know, there's Graphcore and Intel's Nirvana. Those are going to be hitting the market, hopefully the end of this year, probably the end of this year for Intel. I'm not sure about Graphcore because there's a lot of things I could say about them. (laughs)
2: Okay. Well, we'll definitely dig into that. Let's just walk through NVIDIA. They were the star darling of kind of high-tech semiconductor growth in AI up until the middle of last year. They have, of course, fallen off a lot due to oversupply in the Bitcoin and mining, not Bitcoin, but really Ethereum and, and other crypto mining equipment. And now they're trying to stabilize But what you're describing are not these old problems with crypto. You're saying that there are going to be new problems. It's competition in their core business of artificial intelligence. I've tracked kind of the list of companies, startups doing this quite closely. It seems like that stretches back at least to 2013, 2014. We've never seen any startup take a material bite out of Nvidia's business. and It's hard to quantify to what degree Google's TPU efforts have eroded Nvidia's dominance. What do you see there? Why should the next eighteen months be different and much more difficult from a competitive standpoint?
3: From a competitive standpoint, I think Nvidia has always had something better in the pipeline, given every two years they've had at least something better in terms of their core gaming business. you know they've got AMD, you know finally not having garbage architecture in my opinion. and Intel, you know they, they have a pretty bad one right now for GPUs, but who knows because they haven't updated theirs in what since two thousand and fifteen. And they're saying that 2019, 20 are going to have huge changes. And then 21, they'll really be out there in the gaming market and they'll have all their OEM influence. We'll see how good that is. But we haven't had, they haven't had gaming competition for a long time. And, you know, that's their largest revenue segment. Then you talk about server data center, they're fast growing, you know, the darling of Wall Street that stopped growing for one. And, you know, you could say, okay, there was a slowdown towards the end of the year or people stopped purchasing for whatever reason. I don't see that trajectory resuming at all. Not just because there's competition, but also because the training market is beginning to get saturated. Not not in terms of you know, okay, Google has a hundred thousand Tesla V100s. Do they really need the next two hundred thousand on top of that, or can they continue buying at the same rate that they were and supplement with TPU V3 and supplement with maybe other products? Or, you know, so start switching it on to FPGAs and some of the work onto other ASICs, right? Is, is the market going to double again for NVIDIA? I'm not quite sure. I think it's a huge problem that we try to lump into one thing. And there's many solutions for that huge market. And you can't just say that this big GPU training accelerator is the fit for all of it.
2: Now, you've had some experience running these upcoming AI ASIC chips from things like Nirvana and I don't know if you had access to Graphcore. I know you've been looking nope, into them. That's
3: why I said I've got a lot to say about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I think a key question among people following this space is all the presentations and paper specs for these upcoming processors competing against NVIDIA, they look very, very strong. 10x performance, uh, maybe 100x on um, you know uh, time series networks. Uh, what do you see in your personal experience?
3: So... One thing is everybody will say, you know, 10X or 100X the performance, but there's always a little asterisk at the bottom. What's the batch size and what's the, you know, what's the time that they're giving the processor and for training your batch, you know, or or for inferencing, I guess for batch size, you know, where, where are you, where are you looking and, you know, what's the, what's the latency demands there. That's something that maybe GPUs aren't the best at. I think the Tesla T4 is pretty good at it. It's got a lot better. But still, a lot of these companies are doing unfair comparisons, in my opinion. But then in general, with just training, you know, if you look at the new ML Perf benchmark, I think it's actually quite surprising that even, you know, these Xeons, this, you know, this Frankenstein put together 9240 something from Intel, the uh, Cascade Lake AP, that they are doing pretty decently, you know, and, and okay, so you buy AI hardware, your algorithm's not going to be the same always, you know, new algorithms are always coming out how resilient is your hardware to changing algorithms? People would say these ASICs are not much at all. People would say CPUs are very much able to change and GPUs are in the middle somewhere. And that's why NVIDIA still has you know, the sort of the king, right? If you run ResNet 50, I'm sure there's better chips. Or if you run another network, there's better chips, but you're not going to be running only one network, right? You're going to be going from this one to that one to this one. In that space, I think, Nvidia is probably the most dominant and perhaps Nirvana will do well, but I don't see any of these startups claiming to have quite the generalization that Nvidia is able to do.
2: So you're quite optimistic then on Nvidia being able to defend at least its training territory. Like one notable example, I I think that's been making a lot of noise is Habana out of Israel. Their Goya chip is very fast on ResNet 50. I think it's like three to four X NVIDIA T4 in image per second per watt. But that's the only benchmark they show. They don't show LSTMs. They don't show MLPs. It's literally only image recognition. And per Google's paper, image recognition is only a tiny fraction of their data center workload. Same with Facebook.
3: Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting. I I, didn't, I I, don't know too much about that specific paper that you're referencing. So maybe you could shoot that over to me another day, but that pretty much mirrors what I said. I think they're just cherry picking.
2: So do you think any of these startups, do you have one or two names you think that that could actually pose serious challenge to NVIDIA from, from either a performance or a cost perspective?
3: I think inferencing, there's a ton that are probably going to end up getting, especially an embedded type inferencing. I think there's a ton that are going to get in there, but In terms of training, I think Nirvana will probably end up succeeding a little bit eventually, at least until NVIDIA's next generation of chips comes out. And then the name that no one ever talks about is Huawei's new, uh, was it Kung Puang? How do you say that?
2: The phone chip or the server chip?
3: I don't remember what it's called. Ascend 310 and Ascend 910, I believe, are the names of the two chips. Okay. Not the phone chip, but they have an embedded chip that they tie to, you know, they use a lot in camera related things, and they're going to start putting into cars, and then they have their server chip, both of those things will probably end up being quite successful, maybe not in the first iteration, but at least I think it'll end up being quite successful.
2: Why do you highlight those? What gives you the confidence they will uh, break out? And if so, do you think it's just China or international market?
3: I believe it'll be the international market, at least for the 310, in terms of IP cameras, in terms of camera hardware in general. I think Huawei leads the pack and China in general leads the pack, and people are going to be installing surveillance cameras and other types of cameras everywhere. And I think that that hardware will work very well for that because that's something that they're masters in. In terms of training, I think maybe it won't extend too far outside of China, at least the first generation, but it'll probably eventually succeed there as well. I mean, for every engineer that Intel or AMD or NVIDIA has, Huawei has 10 or five. Maybe like most of them are you know, younger graduates, but they're going to get the skills and they're laying out leading edge chips, right? They're not, they're not just messing around and it won't be as efficient at first, but they've got so much manpower, so many resources and market that they're going to take no matter what, right? At least the domestic market, that would let them leap forward off of and take the international market as well.
2: How much of the uh, narrative overhang do you think will be an issue here in terms of security and trusting Huawei's semiconductors?
3: So, I mean, you got to look at who doesn't trust them, right? The US, Japan, Taiwan, I guess, Australia and New Zealand, UK to a little, some extent, but the rest of the world doesn't care. The US is a massive market, right? And Canada, and I'm I'm sure Canada and Mexico won't go along either, but the rest of the market for Europe and the rest, you know, whole Middle East and Africa, those are smaller markets and probably South America as well. Smaller markets, but you know, those are rapidly growing markets. So... That narrative, you know, there will sort of be these markets where say Intel and NVIDIA don't have as much competition or Huawei doesn't have as much competition, but then there will be markets where there's fierce competition. We will see who wins out. And in telecom, we're clearly seeing one thing that a lot of people are choosing Huawei for at least some aspects of the network.
2: That's interesting. I guess 5G is a great example of where over one generation of technology, China has come from kind of follower to leader and are kind of displacing some of the classic uh, European companies.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in 4G, they were very late to having 4G hardware. Once they had it, you know, they built out the entire network in China, which is probably the largest 4G network of any country. And then they've built out many networks all across the world for 4G, you know, late ones, but ones in emerging markets where they didn't already have one, such as in India and such as in Africa. And now with 5G hardware, they've dumped so much money and success into it that I think they're, you know, at least in some aspects of it, you know, especially sub six gigahertz antennas, base stations, they're doing really well there. There's still areas where Nokia and Ericsson are still top dog, but I don't know for how long.
2: Interesting. Let's switch gears and kind of jump into the auto space, this, the self driving car space. I know uh, this is obviously a big focus area for NVIDIA and also a huge trillion plus market that many, many companies are battling over. It seems like the general sentiment is things have taken a little bit longer than expected. Some of the early promises haven't been realized as of kind of mid 2019. How do you see the self driving car space? What are the hardware requirements? Where do you stand on the perpetual popular question of LiDAR? And how do you see NVIDIA's prospects and maybe Tesla's prospects going forward?
3: Okay, so let's let's break down what's needed for the hardware first, right? So one, you need the camera piece, I think is mostly solved in terms of a camera with a sensor or with a with a chip that simplifies what the sensor reads and then sends it to the actual main hardware that understands everything and tells the car what to do right? That's already solved, I think. In terms of LiDAR, I don't really have too many opinions. I know a lot of people say you need it and Tesla screams that you don't. And, you know, Intel with Mobileye saying, you know, you don't need it. But, you know, they're not saying level five will happen without LiDAR. They're just saying level three is possible without LiDAR. And, you know, levels two through four are kind of all like, eh, they're all the same. You can make the argument that a car is level two, three, or four, depending on who you ask. So, it's kind of nebulous on the question of LiDAR. In terms of the hardware requirements, though, I think people don't quite realize how much hardware oomph you need. There's a reason Tesla didn't stop developing their chips, because I don't think that chip is powerful enough either. They claim that they have the hardware and that the software is what they need to work on now, but I don't know if that's the case. In terms of hardware as well, there's the security element and the sort of that, that element, you know, in terms of error, what happens with error. So NVIDIA and, and Tesla are doing it in very, very different ways. Tesla saying, we're not going to spend a boatload of money and time making our chip ASIL-D resilient. We're just going to put two of them next to each other and run them in lockstep. And then NVIDIA is saying, we're going to spend a ton of money making our chip ASIL-D resilient, at least the ARM chip. But that's very interesting, the, the different route that they're both going.
0: So can I ask you, what do you think are the, the shortfalls of Tesla's chip? What makes you think that they need another generation to make full autonomy work?
3: Well, so I, I think that they'll be able to make autonomy work s- to some extent with this one. But, you know, the robo taxis thing that Elon keeps talking about, I don't, I don't know if that's quite possible just because the vehicles that we have seen that are fully self-driving, you know, the like hardcore NVIDIA demos, those are two Xavier's and two massive GPUs that are three, four times more powerful than this Tesla chip. Granted, they're sucking 500 plus watts, and then Tesla's chip is sucking what, like 70 watts or something like that a piece. There's a huge gulf in performance and power, and the Tesla chip is very efficient. But I don't know if that's going to be able to process everything in order to drive a car completely by itself, robo taxi style.
2: You know, Dylan, I have a fundamental objection to all of these claims made by everyone about you need X amount of performance to get to level five. I think it's kind of dubious that no one has demonstrated level five self-driving at any amount of performance in terms of computation. If someone, Google, maybe with a truck worth of servers, demonstrates that with, I don't know, a petaflop, two petaflops, um, you can do level five, and here's this car driving through the streets of San Francisco, Rome, and Tokyo, that's great that means we just need to shrink that performance down to something reasonable within a reasonable power envelope. But we have no such demonstration. And yet companies like NVIDIA and Tesla are saying, well, at 150 teraflops, we can do level four. At another X teraflop, we can do level five. Where are these claims coming from? Do you, do you believe in them?
0: And I'll actually step in and, and mention that at Arc when we talk about full autonomy, we're, actually, we're mostly thinking level four. So I actually think that there's often a confusion, and even the press will sort of wrongly report on these full autonomy projects calling it level five, when really, level five, autonomous, all environments, no human intervention, that could be decades away. I think, I think level four might be more achievable.
2: And Tasha, what makes level four more feasible?
0: Well, level four still has some human intervention, and it's still limited by weather. So you could picture it like... You know, environments that are difficult for humans to handle right now to drive in. A computer could have just as hard of a time when autonomy first starts out, but that could be okay, right? Maybe the car will just pull over to the side of the road if there's a really intense storm and you wait for it to pass and then keep going. At level five with no human help. You know, even Tesla has said at their most recent autonomy day that that they might actually have some amount of of intervention. So yeah, I think there's often a confusion in, in the the level distinction. But Dylan, please tell us your thoughts.
3: I think that's an interesting point. I, I, I guess I didn't quite recognize that most companies themselves are also only talking about level four. They're not talking about level five. Because when I see Google, they're trying to launch their sort of robo taxis without humans in cities like Phoenix or in other places. And, you know, that's a small gridlocked area that they've done an incredible amount of training with an incredible amount of data. But to James's earlier point, is this a data and software problem, or is this a hardware problem, or is this both? And I feel like it's probably both, but what what do you think?
2: I really see no way of them making these claims, right? Like if you're in high-performance computing, you can ahead of time analytically say how much performance you need to solve a given problem. This is an open-ended problem. We don't have even an algorithm that's been designed at any level of performance to solve, not even in a simulator, arguably, and the world is more complex than a simulator. So I don't know how they make these claims that, that can map flops to levels of autonomy. I think it's an open problem and they're honestly kind of making it up on the fly. On the Tesla versus NVIDIA approach, I think that what you said about ASLD, which is the standard thing that ISO recommends for uh, autonomous car uh, silicon, that's interesting. That Basically, Tesla has taken a redundant hardware approach and NVIDIA has tried to build that into the chip. That's an interesting approach. But uh, I agree with you that Tesla is definitely going to be doing this chip development effort multi-generation. There's no point hiring a team internally to build silicon if you're only going to do it once or twice, right? You're going to continue this effort. I think they're basically doing the Apple playbook of building new SOCs every year in the case of a phone Uh, for Tesla, I think it'll be every maybe two or three years. And uh, every time it will basically move how many nines of safety forward, uh, maybe a digit or so, and introduce some features that are demoable and I think helps them sell the cars.
3: So when I've I've done a sort of an analysis of does this chip development effort by Tesla even make sense and in terms of getting the hardware they need and getting the competitive advantage over everyone else yes but just looking at raw financials you know saying okay if they could wait a year before they rolled out their entire self-driving thing one of so the one of the main points that I had was they've got all these liabilities right now that say we have to upgrade you to full self-driving. Do you think they can get away with calling their current hardware full self-driving? Or do you think that they actually have to wait even longer and upgrade them to something else to call it the full self-driving that they've promised, you know, that $5,000 or $7,000 now feature that they've been charging for?
0: Yeah, well... Tesla says that they need basically their latest chip to be installed in every vehicle with that has the older generation of hardware for full autonomy to work. So that's the bet that they're making. So to believe that they'll reach full autonomy, you have to you have to believe that they'll be able to rely on just that. If that's not the case, of course that would definitely push back their timeline. You know, they built their cars in such a way where you can switch the chip out, but I think as we all know it would there'd be a lot more development that would have to be done in order to do that.
2: Yeah, if that scenario comes to bear, Dylan, in other words, the current Tesla computer doesn't have enough flops, that would be that would be quite an issue, wouldn't it? Uh, they would have to scrap a lot of hardware. I think the next generation is not even is 2 years away, so it's make or break. They have to ship on this version or else they will be in serious trouble in terms of what they've committed.
3: Interesting. So, another point on the hardware that I think very much differentiates Tesla from, or well, from NVIDIA from Tesla and, and many of the others is that they have a stereo and optical flow engine where they have dedicated hardware to track vehicles and how they're going to move through space and predict that well. Whereas others are doing it probably just through, I don't know if it's through CPU oomph or if it's embedded into their neural networks. But NVIDIA is their stereo and optical flow engine where the vehicles and the various things in the space that you're driving around or you know, you're know you driving by are mapped onto this hardware, and then the network interacts with that. Do you know if any other AI startups or if anyone else is doing something similar?
2: No, I, uh, that's actually news to me. You're saying like kind of in the NVIDIA tradition of, if you have a block in the 3D graphics rendering algorithm, often you would dedicate hardware just to accelerate that function. They have a fixed function unit inside Xavier to do optical flow. Is that that the uh, gist?
3: Yeah, they they actually have quite a few more ASICs than I think anyone else does in terms of they've got their GPU, then they have a standard, you know, deep learning accelerator like everyone else does. They've got a programmable vision accelerator. I don't exactly know what that's used for, but I'm sure there's a specific thing in all the algorithms that they've got mapped to that. You know, they have their image signal processor like everyone does. Then they've got this stereo and optical flow engine. You know, as as you mentioned, in the graphics pipeline, there's a lot of fixed function hardware specifically for certain parts. They're taking a similar approach with this self-driving vehicle chip.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if it comes from talking and actually working with so many car OEMs and partners. Maybe they found that there was a commonality. Everyone had this this stage in their data processing that needed acceleration that, that wasn't super efficient on either CPU or GPU. Maybe it came through uh, working through kind of OEM requirements.
3: Yeah. There's also one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is who the you know the big three are winning in terms of clients. Well, I guess Tesla's their own, but NVIDIA and, and Mobileye, Intel, what is the difference in the clients that they're winning? I think NVIDIA's announced far more truck and trucking related wins than Intel has. At least just, I haven't mapped it out, haven't plotted it out, but just It seems like NVIDIA has far more truck wins and, you know, they have the largest truck manufacturer in the world with Volvo and all their various subsidiaries and joint ventures also as a win, whereas Intel has got way more car companies. And, you know, I personally think trucks will get autonomy first, or at least most autonomy. What do you think about that, Tasha and and James?
0: So... I guess on coming to full autonomy, it would actually take the other side on trucks reaching that first. I think we often think, oh, a truck drives mostly on the highway and that's why this problem should be easier to solve. But actually, because more testing has been done on the passenger car side, we've just sort of come further along in terms of uh, the the development cycle of getting you know those form factors to be able to move autonomously. Versus, versus a truck, which of course, you know, the sensors are at all different places and you can't just take a passenger car platform and, and move it to a different form factor vehicle. And trucks still need to go the last mile, right? So... If we're talking about say these levels, getting to say the level four or, or higher, you'd need the last mile as well, not just highway driving. But I'm actually curious to hear more about your your comment that you think Intel has more passenger car wins than than Nvidia. I'd love to hear your thoughts on sort of the competitive dynamics, say Intel Nvidia and any even other chip players in in the passenger car space.
2: Yeah, I thought like Intel, NVIDIA, for example, famously announced Toyota as one of their uh, wins. Was that not for autonomous or h- how does that flow in?
3: Yeah, so they, I agree they do have wins in that space, but it seems at least to me in terms of the number of car companies choosing Intel over NVIDIA. Now, like I said, I haven't mapped it out completely and there are there's obviously examples of Intel having truck wins and there's examples of NVIDIA having car wins and Toyota's the largest car company in the world, I believe. That is true, but I think it seems just like that NVIDIA has more truck wins and more startup truck companies and self-driving truck companies that they've won. I don't to bounce back to the earlier point you made. I think you're probably right on the last mile for trucks being more difficult just because it's a more complicated vehicle and there's less driving on it. But in terms of level four type work, there's already companies that are running multi-hundred mile trucks on interstates without people in them. They park them next to the interstate, they load onto the interstate, drive along for how many ever miles, and then they park on the depot on the other end and a person comes and picks it up and then does the last mile delivery. And I think that's probably the biggest space. In terms of the reason why I thought trucks would at least become autonomous first was also that there's more money involved there. Accelerating the general human's driving it's on a case by case person. If it's worth you know hundred thousand dollars a year to this person, or if it's worth ten thousand dollars a year to this person, or if it's only worth you know a couple thousand dollars a year to this person, or a few hundred, whereas trucks, each truck that you automate is going to be probably over a hundred thousand dollars of saved money each. That's something that's undeniable almost. Whereas with a car, it's quite debatable how much is saved.
0: Okay, I see what you're saying. I, I think when we think about the passenger car space, we're thinking mostly about a, a fleet model. So we've actually estimated the, the market size for robo-taxis as, as much larger than the, the market size for, for autonomous trucking. Although, you know, undeniably, they're both pretty interesting markets. But what do you think are sort of like the key differences maybe not just customer wins between these companies that are going after the the autonomous vehicle chip space? Yeah, who do you see as the furthest ahead in in development just just on on a chip basis alone?
2: And how's Mobile doing post Intel digestion?
3: I think Intel hasn't really messed with them too much besides giving them more software engineers and more I guess more resources cuz the way they work, they've been far more open with, than NVIDIA in terms of here's our chip, here's everything you can do with it, here's documentation, everything, you know, to anyone and everyone we will even partner with you and you can do whatever you want. You can have custom elements on there, whereas NVIDIA is very much like you must use certain elements of our chip. And we have this massive CPU, the Denver CPU, where it runs ARM instruction, sure, but the back end is VLIW. And no one can compile code, as far as I know. Maybe a few car companies have gotten access to cal- compile code directly natively for that CPU, but they don't let anyone, you know, get into their bread and butter. And it's the same way that NVIDIA is everywhere, right? They'll give you, they'll give you containers, they'll give you, et cetera, so you can try and work build off of theirs. But you won't get near as low-level access as you do on, say, an AMD's hardware or an Intel's hardware in general. At least that's what it seems like in the server space. So I think that's probably similar for the self-driving space. And in terms of cost, I think NVIDIA is probably a more expensive option than than what MobilEye is doing and what Tesla is doing. I mean, Tesla even said themselves their own, their self-developed chip is 30% cheaper and it's like five times faster, 10 times faster. From what I understand, MobilEye's solution, you know, pairing multiple IQ5s up is still cheaper than what NVIDIA offers. But in terms of hardware, I think probably NVIDIA is further along, at least for a development and that kind of standpoint, than at least Intel. I don't know full well how good Tesla's hardware is. Seems good.
2: Okay. Maybe just to wrap up, I'd love to just circle back to to a company you mentioned earlier, GraphCore. You said you had some thoughts there. What were you thinking?
3: Yeah, so they like to claim that they're shipping right now and that they have select partners that they're shipping with, and that they're they're product is great and, and amazing. And it seems really cool, right? I, I really think it's pretty cool. But I've never talked to anyone who's used their hardware. I've talked to people who have seen it, who have seen little, you know, pictures of it, or they've they've been in person, and they've seen someone holding up a card or whatever, but ha- I've never seen a single benchmark on it run by a third party. And I've never seen third party claim that they use it, despite them saying they've been shipping for, you know, months now. So I that's that's all I have to say about them, really.
2: I guess it's possible those partners are under NDA for the first batch. I think their claim is uh, Dell is their uh, vendor for their kind of first version of samples um, for, for developer use. and I think they may have some European partners, I'm not sure, but I, it sounds like their whole plan is, is to wait for the, is it seven, seven nanometer is the next part, I believe. And uh, If that's the same timeline as NVIDIA, we should get some more info probably first half of uh, 2020.
3: Well, that, that's also the exciting thing about Graphcore is that their 7 nanometer part, at least if you look at the way they do it, they just have tons of on-die memory. That's going to shrink by a factor of like 3x going to 7 nanometer, whereas other elements of the chip might ex- shrink only 1.2x or a little bit lot less, right? It might shrink, but that one specific element, which is probably like 60% of their chip plus, will shrink by a factor of like 3x. So what they're going to be able to do is insane if their chip is as good as they claim.
2: Fascinating. So you're saying the move from, I guess, is it 12 or 16 are you comparing from?
3: It's, it's the same thing. So Yeah,
2: yeah. So call it 6TSMC16. The density improvement in memory is going to be 3x, whereas logic is only what,
3: 1.5? So it all just depends, right? But it depends on the libraries you use and et cetera. But SRAM specifically, that shrink is going to be something like 3x. It's a reason why AMD went with doubling their caches because that was a very cheap addition, whereas on previous nodes, that would have been a very, very expensive addition. Whereas for TSMC 7 nanometer, you get this huge amount of improvement in cache. For things like IO, you know, like your HBM controllers, those are not going to shrink at all, if at all. And we can see that from AMD 7 nanometer GPU, the data center one, the HBM controllers are basically the same size. And then you have the rest of your logic, which is probably more like a 1.5 to 2 to 2.5x, depending on what element it is.
2: Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, this is a bunch of semiconductor geekery I know. Um, but uh, Graphcore's architecture is distinguished by having no external memory. They try to fit the entire neural net and all its weights in, on chip. They basically trade trade logic gates for, for uh, SRAM. And their thinking is because so much of neural network models, their performance is I-O bound having pure chip on chip IO is going to actually be just lightning fast. um, And they use multiple chips um, to to basically scale up uh, the amount of memory you have. But what Dylan is saying here is right now they're kind of a bit memory constrained because you can't have that much memory on 14 nanometer. But once you go to seven, they're going to have this huge boost and that will allow them to fit basically much more complex models on their processors.
3: Yeah, that's a good summary. Yeah, sounds good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dylan. Awesome. And where can, uh, if people want to follow you and and learn more about your work, where can they find you?
3: I'm on Twitter, uh, Dylan522P. I'll be launching a site soon, so hopefully you check there a couple times if you're not the Twitter kind of person. If you really like semiconductor news and, and analysis, I'll be launching a site soon. I'll also be writing for a few sites, but I won't reveal that until that's actually public. But yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to keep up to date with that.
2: Okay, awesome. It was great having you on the show, Dylan.
3: Yes, thank you. All right, bye. Thanks, James and Natasha.
2: That's it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating on iTunes. You can find the full ARC team on Twitter. We'll catch you next week.